Father, thank you you're among us. Thank you you love each and every person in this room. God, you know everyone here, Father. And I know that some people here don't yet know you. And I just pray that today, even in this service, people who don't know you would have a miracle happen in their soul and they would come to know God. God, thank you that you're with us just now. Thank you that you are for us and thank you you love us. God, help me to share. Help us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a mini-series. We're taking four weeks to look at our vision as a church. We're 20 years old as a church. And I've already said to you, that means you are no longer teenagers. So none of that sass and nonsense. No more church, no more. You are now officially a 20-year-old church. 20 years ago, we kicked off the church in our flat. And God is with us. And what we're doing in these four weeks is we're going back to the beginning and saying, here's how we started. Here's what our vision is. Here's what we're about. So this week, we're on that journey. Last week, we we shared with you our vision statement. And our vision statement is to be, in fact, you can read it with me. Here it comes on the screen behind me. Now, ready? One, two, three. To be a relevant and a significant church that sees the lost one and the one winning throughout Edinburgh, the Lothians, and beyond. We're going to specifically focus in this week on to see the lost one. I hate losing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife's the worst. She, she always puts her keys in. I always put my keys in my pocket. That's always where my keys are. My wife chooses many places to put her keys. And typically at the last moment, oh no, where are my keys? And I hate losing things as well. We hate losing things. One guy, he was in a party and he lost his wallet. And he stood up on a, on a chair and he, and he shouted, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I've lost my wallet. It's got 2,000 pounds in it. If you return it to me, I'll give you 100 pounds. And a guy at the back shouts, I'll give you 200. (laughs) Someone said, "Uh, I tried to sue the airport for misplacing my luggage. I lost my case. (laughs) Anyway, the lost. The theme of the lost is actually a theme you see right through the Bible. At the very beginning of the Bible, God cries out to Adam. Adam and Eve have just turned away from God. We were created to know God, and and at the beginning we turned away from God. And God's first question to Adam was, Adam, where are you? And it wasn't that God had lost him. God's omniscient. He knows everything. He was trying to get Adam to acknowledge that Adam had moved. The toughest thing is, people are lost, but the toughest thing is getting them to acknowledge that they're lost. If you don't acknowledge your lost, you can't acknowledge you need found. So God said, Adam, where are you? And maybe today God cries to some of you because you're lost. And he's saying, where are you? Where are you at? Where are you at with God? Where are you? And so this theme of being lost, the, the human race from the earliest stages of our creation was lost because we rejected the God who created us. And you see this theme right down through scripture. You see, you see Jesus in the Gospels, telling stories about lost. He talked about, he did give three parables. He talked about the parable of the lost sheep, how a farmer had sheep and he lost one. And he just, in his radical love, went to the nth degree to find the lost sheep. And the picture is of a God, the creator of the universe, will go to incredible lengths to reach lost people. And you know what that's like. Many of you have experienced that. God, you just didn't let up on me. How many people have experienced that? God just didn't quit on you. He just kept coming after you. How many experienced that? It's amazing. He didn't quit on you. He kept coming after you. That's our God's. And then there's a story of the lost coin. There's this widower who we think was probably Scottish. She lost a coin. You believe that, Scottish people? And she was digging around and trying to find that lost coin. And then she found the lost coin. Yes, I found the lost coin. And she threw a party. And, and it's a bit, it seems a bit extreme until you understand the Scots. <laughs> and Jesus was making a point that that's how God is when it comes to someone who's lost. I know there's a human race that's lost, but you need to understand that the human race is full of individuals and God is pursuing individuals and has done since the beginning of time. Say amen if you agree. God hasn't quit on people. And then Jesus told the story of the lost son. 
about a son who rebelled against the father, but the, but, but the father never quit on the son, always looking for the son. And one day the father, the son realized, I'm lost. Just realized I'm lost and they returned to the father. So lost is a continual theme through scripture. And again, let me say, maybe today you're lost and I'm so pleased you're here. And I believe God's brought you here because he wants to save you and give you a new life. But our mission is to see the lost one. You know, there's only two things you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven. One of them is sin, and one of them is evangelize. Now, only one of those two things God has asked you to actually pursue and do. Quiz, which one of those two do you reckon God wants you to you need to get this one right. So this is where some of you have gone wrong. You've got the wrong answer, okay? There's only one thing he's asked you. The only reason, see when you got saved, it, we, you know, imagine he just, just took you straight to heaven. Man, it would have saved us all so much problems, right? You know, just, just save him and just get him out of here. God didn't do that. I mean, sometimes you think, God, I wish you'd done that, okay? Certainly as pastors, we sometimes wish, Lord, just, you know. But God didn't do that. He left you here. Why did he leave you here? Why did he leave you in this world of darkness around people who don't know God's? Well, why do you think? Because you're carrying a message. You're here to proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, glorious light. So what we want to do is I'm going to show you a quick film clip. And hey, this week's been an amazing, an amazing week. hundred. It's actually... It's, Day, day one, we saw about 50, 60 people. Day two, we saw about 50, 60 people. So there's over 100 people in a two-day period have come to Christ. And many hundreds more, we believe, this, this coming week. Isn't that amazing? And at the end of each of those stories Jesus told, he said, and they threw a party. At each of one of those three stories, they all threw a party. And heaven rejoices that's a hundred parties in heaven just because of Edinburgh, let alone Glasgow and Aberdeen and all the other places where great things have been happening. So to introduce today's theme, let me show you a quick film clip. Cue the clip. Thanks, guys. We're here to be a relevant and a significant church that sees the lost one and the one winning throughout Edinburgh, the Lothians and beyond. There was a fish right there. So Look at that, it's two of them. They, they, they're going bananas. We're going to get you so many for the barbecue. When I was born, mum told me that uh, she felt prophetically that God called her to call me Peter because she believed that God had a role for me to play in establishing believers and with the local church. So that's been my passion and I believe, and also actually fishing has been for me a passion for years. Um, since I was a teenager in my early teens, just as Peter was a fisherman before he became a fisher of men. Uh, isn't it funny that I think God's, I was a fisherman and now God's called me to be a fisher of men, seeing the lost one. So just as you've got to have the right conditions and there's got to be the right fly for the fish and you've got to present it in the right way, I think it's also the same with reaching people uh, with the good news of God's love. And, and, and our bait is, is the good news of God's love and presenting that message in a way that our culture gets is what makes for successful churches, uh, saying it in a way that people can understand, can get, and presenting it to them in a way that is uh, as natural as possible, but doesn't water it down. You, you want to present the message in as clear and as strong a way without watering it down, but in nevertheless a relevant way, saying, you know, presenting God's love in a language that people can get and in a way that people can engage with. 
and then ultimately we're help, we're not we're asking people to make the the decision that they were born to make a relationship with the God who created them in the first place, which is the most natural thing for a human being to do. Come on, try it. I know you're out here. Right, we're going to get one any second. There was one jumped over here a minute ago. Just before coming to Edinburgh, at a conference, Andrew Owen and a, and a group of other apostles and prophets prophesied and prayed over myself and Angie. This is the prophecy that Andrew brought us on that occasion. Do not worry, says the Lord, about building a church. Don't think I must build a church. Don't think I've got to produce a church. Forget about it, says the Lord. I said, I would build my church. You don't worry about that. This is what I want you to do. Reach the lost. Love the unlovable. Show compassion to those who have never felt it. Share the good things I've done for you. Gather them. That's all you have to do. Share and gather. Gather and share. And actually one of the other prophecies that came at that time was by a man called, a prophet called Ian Rawley from Cambridge. And he prophesied and he, and he said this. He said a whole lot of things, but at the end of it he said, I've called you, Peter, to be a fisher of men. You will fish and you will fish successfully. Church, it's time to get on board like never before. Time to, we're all called to do this mission. This is a, not just a mission for me, this is a mission for us all. We're on this mission to reach our city, our region, our friends, our family. So it's time like never before in this new season. We're 20 years old as a church. The next season ahead is the best one yet. We've seen thousands come to Christ. But I really do believe the best days are ahead. So let's rise to the challenge in a fresh way. God is with us. Well, <laughs> having talked about all that fish, all those fish, there's no fish, we didn't catch any fish. So um, perseverance is part of the key as well. That dented my ego a little bit, that conflict. But, but just, just to prove I do catch fish, here's a picture of fish that I caught in that same spot. There you go, look at that. <laughs> That was on another trip, okay, so I know I didn't catch one on that, on that trip, but this trip I did, check that out, check that. <laughs> Look at the size of that fish. One-to-one -one scale, that's big fish. Um, at the start, when Jesus called the disciples at the beginning, Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus was stuck walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, who were casting nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left the nets and followed him. I remember hearing that story actually when I was a kid at Sunday school, and it just stuck in my heart. And I just, you know, reading that verse, you realize two things. First of all, following Jesus is going to take everything. Right? You see that in the verse. Following Jesus is going to take everything. I mean, you're going to follow the greatest being ever. You don't just give him your Sunday, right? You don't just give him this little bit of your life. He's God. You give him everything. I mean, that'd be, it'd be inappropriate not to. Following Jesus takes everything. And the second thing I realize is this, is that followers of Jesus, from the word go, are meant to help find and help others find and follow Jesus. From the word go, Followers of Jesus are meant to help others find and follow Jesus. And so the disciples did this, and they, they, were, they stepped forward, and God called them. And I, 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 I remember coming to know Jesus and having held back for so long, because I just knew that following Jesus would take everything, so I didn't give him anything for years until I was in my late teens when I made that choice. Jesus, okay, have my everything. And I remember in that moment just knowing, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And I remember making a decision, okay, God, I'm going to heaven. So God, please, by your grace, I just want to take as many people with me as I can. And I hope that would be your prayer today. God, thank you, I'm going to heaven. But let me take as many people with me as I can. Kicking and screaming if necessary. 
Let's bring as many people with us as we can. We've got to see the lost one. And that's at the beginning of Jesus' calling to the disciples. And at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus having died on the cross for our sins, on the third day resurrected, conquering death. And he appeared to the disciples and he said to them in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 to 20, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus, at the beginning of the ministry, told them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. At the end of his ministry, sent them out to make disciples of all nations. And there was birthed the greatest evangelistic move ever. In that first century, in a very short space of time, the gospel impacted the entire Mediterranean area. In fact, from AD 33, when Jesus rose from the dead and commissioned his disciples, there was only a few hundred followers of Jesus at that point. But within a very short space of time, by 300 AD, there were six million followers of Jesus in the known world. And by the way, it wasn't just because of the great preachers and communicators like the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul or some of those great speakers. Actually, predominantly, it was because of ordinary believers, predominantly traveling on trade routes around that ancient part of the world that would circulate the gospel, often traveling because of their work, their, their business. They would travel in places, and as they went, they would share the gospel. Paul wrote to one of his churches in Thessalonians, and he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, now the, word of the Lord, now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, For wherever we go, we are finding people tell us about your faith in God, how you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. So here's Paul writing to one of his churches, and he's saying, guys, you've gone viral. You're just telling everyone about your faith. So it's not just the superstars. It's not the big names. It's every ordinary believers. Any yinkas in the house say amen? Yeah, this is what we believe in. We believe in mobilizing ordinary believers to make a difference with their faith, not just the superstars. In the global south today, things are rocketing in the southern hemisphere. Every day in the southern hemisphere, 74,000 people come to Christ in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Isn't that amazing? We have 74,000 new brothers and sisters in our family today from the southern hemisphere. Isn't that awesome? In the northern hemisphere, we have a different challenge. In China, things are going great. Every day in China, 25,000 people come to Christ. Isn't that awesome? 25,000 people come to faith. You know, during the, when the communists came to power in 1949, something like that, only 1% of China was baptized. And yet, since then, things have turned around to the point where they predict by 2030, there will be 250 million believers in China it will be the world's largest Christian country. That's nuts. That's despite decades of communist opposition and it officially being an atheist country. So the most atheist country on earth has become the most Christian country on earth in a few decades. Now the challenge we've got here in in the west and in the north is that the kind of opposite things happening. It seems, but things can change quickly. So we see that now that we see the, the, this, this horrendous turning negative towards atheism and to secularism. So just last week in the Scotsman, it's, it, I read that um, civil and humanist ceremonies accounted for well over half of the 28,440 weddings in Scotland last year. So people are now, they're no longer looking to the church or towards traditional values. They're now building on different foundations. And I guess they're probably being honest, okay? So we're not a Christian country. We, to be honest, we don't think we ever have been. But this, this, the culture is definitely secular. And this, the stats from Barner and others show that 2 to 3% of the UK, Scotland included, and Europe as well, would be active followers of Jesus. So we are in the minority. But how many people know it takes the minority to change things? That's how it always goes. God works with a minority. And with his power, we become the majority. And things are impacted and changed. So that's what we're in faith for. So that's the challenge we're facing. But, you know, it's like that guy who was a sales rep for Adidas. And he was sent 
on a, he was sent, uh, his post was to go and sell shoes in this very, very remote area, inland Africa. And he arrived there with all his boxes of Adidas trainers. And all the kids were running around barefoot. And he thought, what am I doing here? And he got on his phone and said to the shoe company, he said, listen, you need to get me on the next flight home. No one wears shoes here. Three months later, a sales rep from the same company arrives in the exact same spot and sees all the kids running around without shoes on. And he said, this is fantastic. So he phoned his company and said, send more shoes. No one wears shoes here. So the way I see it, that was a joke. Anyway, or a funny story, a funny story. That was a funny story. <laughs> anyway, the point is, you either see it as a problem or as an opportunity. You see, I, I see the need. We see the need. We see the lack. We see the, the spiritual desolateness in our culture. But the good news has never been as good as it is. And human need has never been greater. So we actually have the answer that our society is asking for, and they don't even know they're asking for it. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we believe in that. We believe our vision is to see the lost one and the one winning. So let me just break down very simply how we're going to do that. Let me first of all give you our approach and then our heartbeat and then our strategy. Number one, our approach. Our approach is to be a relevant, say relevant, and significant church that sees the lost one and the one winning throughout Edinburgh, the Lothians and beyond. Part of our way we're going to reach the lost is we're going to do it in a relevant way. We believe in relevance. Here's a very simple sum for you. There are three things we really believe in. First thing is the church. We believe in the local church. We believe it's the hope of the world. We believe it's the only thing that Jesus is building. He said, I will build my church. He calls it his bride. That's how close to his heart it is. It's his house. He loves living there. The church. It's the big agenda. Jesus died for the church. He loves the church. So we love the church. And then there's the gospel. We love the gospel. It means good news. It's the message about Jesus' death and resurrection to save people like us. It's this message. It's the only hope. It's the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way your sins can be cleansed. The gospel. And we as a church are gospel-centered. And then there's culture. That's the people out there. People who don't know God's. It's the, it's the people we know and love. It's, 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 it's just this awesome city and region we live in. It's this nation. It's this, it's this precious people we're among the culture. And so you've got all three, and let's do the sums. So the first sum is go- church plus gospel minus culture. Okay, so you've got the church plus the gospel minus culture. Don't put the answers up yet. Wait for them because they, they want them to try and guess it, media people. So the church plus the gospel minus culture. So this, this, is, this is the local church. They're preaching this message of the gospel, but they're pretty irrelevant to their culture. They're not relevant to the culture. What will we call them? Insula. Yeah, you could call them that. That's not what I've got here, but that's a good one. Irrelevant. I, I, that's absolutely right. That's not the one I've got there. It begins with... Fundamentalist. Thank you, Graham fundamentalists not much fun and a little bit mental okay <laughs> fundamentalists so that you'll never forget them now irrelevant uh, insular you're absolutely right as well but hey fundamentalists you know load your shotguns jesus is coming tins of beans down there barbed wire up hold the fort jesus is coming don't let don't let the unbad bad world touch us right and so many christians whether they're an extreme in this or not are totally irrelevant to the people around them and uh, we shouldn't be that Okay, and then the second sum is church plus culture minus the gospel. So this is this is something called church. I would find it hard to call it church, but it's something called church. It's got the name church on the door, and they're very socially relevant. They do lots of mother and tots groups, and they they help the poor and the needy, and they do lots. They're very so, good social conscience, but they remove the message, and in some cases they don't even believe the message or the question aspects of the message. The gospel, they remove the gospel. This is church plus culture, but minus the gospel. What is that, folks? That's liberalism. That's liberalism, man. Oh, man, liberalism, that makes me sick. It makes me sick. Listen, the Bible is the Bible. You can't add to it or take away from it. I don't mind if you reject it, but whatever you do, don't water it down. 
It's not yours to do that with. It's God's book. So you either accept this book. Now, I'm not saying that you don't present it. Of course, you present it in a relevant way, but you believe the book, right? So there's a lack of integrity with liberalism as far as I'm concerned. That's people who call themselves church. I'm not, I'm not even sure in some cases if they would even be church as far as God is concerned because you need to be saved to be church. Okay, so church plus the gospel minus culture. So, sorry, the other way around. Church plus, church plus culture minus the gospel. They don't believe the message and they don't present the message certainly. And we're not that. And then there's church plus culture, my, sorry, gospel plus culture minus the church. This is people, and this is a good bunch, okay? This is the people who believe the gospel. They're engaging with the culture, but they're not doing it through the medium of church. So what's that called? Para, para church. And in some cases, rebelling. I heard rebelling there, okay? So, yeah, so sometimes that's rebelling. Sometimes, but sometimes it's actually really good. So, so some parachurch groups are fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Some of the parachurch groups take away from the local church. You can't take away from the local church. It's the bride of Christ, okay? So that's the rebelling ones, okay? But there are many good parachurch organizations who church, help the church do what they couldn't do by themselves. Uh, for example, Bethany Christian Trust. Brilliant. They work with the homeless, and they partner with local churches, helping the church go further in its impact. Brilliant. But we're, that, that's not the idea. Here's the ideal. The absolute ideal is number four. You've got the church, you've got the gospel, and you've got the culture. You are the local church. You are engaging the culture, and you are using the gospel without watering a thing down. That's what we aim to be. That, what I, that's what I believe an effective church. That's our goal. That's what it means in my mind to be relevant. Relevant in my mind doesn't mean watering a thing down. Not at all. Some people in their desire to be relevant, what they do is they just give a little, you know, one Bible verse and a bit of pop psychology. Folks, people need more than that. People need meat for their souls. So I, I, don't, I don't, Jesus was incredibly relevant, the most relevant one ever. God became a man. God became understandable. You could touch him, you could see him. You, all of a sudden the mystery about God was over. There was God's ultimate relevance. But Jesus Christ didn't water one thing down. He just knew how to say it in a way the culture could get so being relevant doesn't mean that people won't reject your message. You know, if people reject your message, that doesn't mean you haven't been relevant. In fact, it might mean you've been really relevant because they really got it. They just didn't like it. Okay, it doesn't mean you're liked by everyone being relevant. But being relevant does mean you love everyone and you engage with people and you present the message in a clear way. And that's what we're about. We're here to be a relevant church. So that's our approach, our heartbeat. Let's go back to the, 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 the statement we're here to be a relevant and a significant church that sees the lost one. Say the lost one. And the one winning through Edinburgh, the Lothians, and beyonds. You know, I remember in the early stages of our church, you know, it took us five years to get to 50 people from me and Angie. And then Bill came along. Bill had long hair and a beard, looked just like Jesus. <laughs> Great way to start a church, right? You get a guy who looks like Jesus. That's got to be a good start. <clears throat> Bill came along. And so there was the three of us, and then we started just reaching out, and just one at a time they grew. Uh, it took us five years to get to 50 people. And in those early stages, I was working also full-time as an architect, and we're kind of juggling life. And, but the, here's the thing. In our mission statement, we had this in our mission statement. We want to see the lost one. But week in, week out, no one was coming to faith. Okay? It's so awkward to have something blatantly in your mission statement, but there was absolutely no evidence of it in your reality or experience. And every week, my mentor, Andrew Owen, would give me a phone call. Hey, Pete, how's church gone this week? And I'd say, yeah, it's been, it's been good. Then he'd always ask the question, so have you seen any lost saved yet? And every week the question would come, every week, and I'd have the same answer, sorry, not this week. And this went on for months, and I, dread, I got to the point where I dreaded the question. Oh, no, here's the phone call. Okay, no. I just, I just instead of saying, hi, Andrew, it's just, sorry, no. <laughs> you know, it's just, just, I just knew the question was coming. And, and, he, and he, he, could, he said to me one day when, I, when we had this chat, he said, listen, Pete, I need to let you in on a secret. He said, first of all, I don't think you're desperate enough. And he, and he said, if someone doesn't come to faith, and he was talking about it through in Glasgow, when he's preaching in Glasgow, if someone doesn't come to faith, something inside of him breaks. Something breaks. And he goes home beside himself. And he says, God, what's happened? And he said he spends the afternoon depressed. He said, it doesn't, doesn't care how many people were in the church or how great the worship was. If someone doesn't come to faith, something inside him breaks. And he said, Peter, 
I don't think you're desperate enough. And when I heard his story, I thought, I don't think I'm desperate enough. And I realized I didn't have enough desperation. And then he told me a story about Charles Spurgeon. And he said, Charles Spurgeon, that's the, Charles Spurgeon at the turn of last century, an amazing preacher in London. He, he, he saw Europe see its first megachurch, regular kind of four, five, six thousand people on a Sunday down in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. An amazing preacher called the Prince of Preachers. And he also trained up preachers. And one of, the, one of his trainee preachers came to him one day and said, Mr. Spurgeon, how is it that every time you preach, someone comes to faith? But when I preach, it's very rare for anyone to come to faith. And Charles Spurgeon turned to the young man and said, young man, surely you don't expect someone to come to faith every time you preach, do you? And the young man said, well, no, of course not. And he said, well, that is the difference between you and I. <laughs> See, you got him. He's really cheeky, Charles Spurgeon. And so he expected it. And so Andrew Owen told me that story. And he said, Peter, I don't think you're desperate enough. And I don't think you're expecting enough. So here's what I did. I changed my, I changed my desperation levels. I allowed actually the, the emotion of what the Bible said about lost people to actually impact me. You can't read the Bible and go away unaffected with what God thinks about lost people. The predicament people are in away from God. You can read the Bible and just be neutral about that, folks. I ache. I actually genuinely ache in my heart for the lost. And I've stirred myself to start believing. And so what we started doing is every week we did, at the end of every service, we did an altar call. And that's, that's the pattern we're in church. And that only, not, not only stirred my expectation, it also stirred the church's expectation. And in the early stages, I did it when I knew there was no non-Christians there. I still did it every week as a step of faith. And it wasn't long before a decision happens. Once a month. And then twice a month. And then once a week. And by God's grace, we're seeing several a week now. And since the beginning of this year, actually, in our services, we've seen over 230 decisions for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Just in our services. Across, across all the five services on a Sunday. So we're so grateful to God. But that's a drop in the ocean, folks. That is a drop in the ocean. I reckon if you all got that ache in your heart and that expectation, imagine you all got that. And we became like the church of Thessalonica. That they just, we started sounding out around, around the known world. That's our heartbeat. That's our heartbeat. In the Gospels, there are 132 times where Jesus encountered people. Records of 132 encounters with Jesus. Six of them were in temples. Two of them, sorry, four of them were in, six of them were in the temple. Four of them were in synagogues. And 122 of them were on streets, in houses, at parties, beside wells, under trees, etc., etc. In RBS, in the new town, in Costa Coffee. The point is this, that Jesus understood that holiness wasn't separation from sinners, but rather separation from sin. Jesus hung out with drunkards, but never got drunk. He hung out with corrupt tax officials, but he never got corrupt. He spent time with prostitutes, but he never compromised his moral standards. Jesus didn't expect them to jump into his world, so he radically, in the incarnation and also in his life, jumped into our world. So that's our God. He's our example. So let's live that way. The accusation mounted over Jesus by the Pharisees was, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. That's what, that was the conclusion after investigating his life. Imagine the Pharisees sent some investigators to investigate our lives. What would their conclusion be? Would it be, oh, they're a friend of Christians? Because all your life you spend time with Christians. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't hang out with Christians. Like now. <laughs> it's called church. And I, and I think you should be in a small group as well through the week. But at the same time as that, you also need to create space in your life where you engage effectively with people who don't know Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. How did you do that? Very simply, pray, care, share. Say that with me. Pray, care, share. Pray for people who don't know God. On the streets this week with the turning, many of the people who came to faith, if you asked them after they've made the decision to come to faith, do you know if anyone's been praying for you? So often there is a backstory of a grandmother or a parent, or someone who's been praying for them. Yeah? How many people know a story in your life before you came to faith, you heard afterwards, so-and-so was praying for you? Hands up if that's, if that's your story. Right, look at, the, look at the hands. 
So you've got to pray. Pray for people who don't know God. Pray for relatives and friends, colleagues, uh, street, people in your street. Pray. And then secondly, care. Care. In fact, Gordon, who's at the back there, give us a wave, Gordon, from Centerpoint Church. We, we, had, a, we had a catch-up uh, for a coffee maybe a, a few weeks ago in, in Starbucks. And we had a really, really great chat. And then after that, Gordon had to go to meetings and I had to go to other meetings. So we, we parted company. But later in the day, Gordon sent me a WhatsApp memo. And the WhatsApp memo was, he went from meeting me to meet a public figure in the city. And the public figure was going through a really hard time and his name was in the press quite a lot. And Gordon's been a friend to this guy for a long time. And when he, when he met the guy, he said, oh, he'd just been meeting a pastor friend. And the public figure guy, who will remain anonymous, said, oh, what church was that? And he said, oh, it was from Destiny Church. I said, oh, let me tell you a story. And he went on to say that he'd just gone to his local Tesco to get some shopping. And a member from Destiny Church approached him and recognizing him from the newspapers because he's going through this hard time. And he told him about the love of God and he prayed for him in the church. Isn't that awesome? You guys, what you like? I love that. I love that. That's, that's so blessed with that message, Gordon. You've got to pray, then you've got to care. Just look out for folks, care. Just, just a few weeks ago, our, our youth, no, not a few weeks ago, a number of months ago, our youth ministry on a Friday night went and did a whole tidy up for a family in the city and the, the lady was disabled and her house was getting on top of her and she had a couple of teenage daughters and our youth went there to help tidy up and just clean up the house for them and this was not someone who comes to church this was just someone who we were contacted by one of the agencies in the city and we were asked if we could help so we sent our team and the youth went there and they went and tidied this lady's house and on the back of that, the teenage daughters of the lady, one of them kept in touch with the youth and eventually came along to the youth. In fact, came to Surge. And the teenage daughter at Surge gave her life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And two weeks after that, she brought her sister along to youth on Friday nights. And the sister came to Christ as well. I love that. I love that. So that wasn't heavy evangelism. That was just someone needed their house tidied. See, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you pray, then you care, and then you share. Now, sometimes when you share, you'll not tell them the whole thing. You get one minute with them. I'm going to tell you everything about God and the Bible and Jesus and your sin. Here it comes, right? You know, they're not going to even take it all in. Just sow a seed. Just sow a seed. Give them as much as you know they're ready for. If they're asking for more, give them more. Know when to stop. That's some of your problems, okay? Know when to stop. If you don't know when to stop, they will proceed. You are forcing that down my throat. So respect people's free will. But do share. Don't respect people's free will so much that you say nothing. Don't be so, don't idolize, um, you know, socially acceptable conversations to the point where you never rock the boat. Get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes change the subject to the biggest things ever but know when to stop. So share. And tell people about your faith in Jesus. And share your story. That's a good thing to share. Tell them how God's changed your life. Another thing you can do is invite people. Invite people to church. Invite people to Alpha courses. Invite people to our Carols by Candlelight events. Invite people to outreaches we're doing. Invite people. So pray, care, share. Tell people. Isaiah, uh, who's in our South location, he used to be part here uh, before we went to Plant South, uh, he also wrote a book in the Bible, Isaiah. <laughs> now I'm kidding you, and that's another one from hundreds of years ago. Isaiah uh, works in RBS, and he just told me a story just last week, and he was saying that he was he'd been chatting to one of the ladies in his work about faith in Jesus. And she had to take time off work because her husband had a heart attack and went into a coma. And, and so this lady had said, oh, my dad reads the Bible, but I... I, I I don't think anything about it. I don't acknowledge God. I don't believe in God. That's not where I'm at. But my dad believes in God and he reads the Bible. And Isaiah said, the Bible's great. You should read it. It's amazing. God loves you. And that was the end of the conversation. He said enough, not too much, and left it. This lady's husband had a heart attack and, she, and it was taken into intensive care and he was in a coma. And the doctor said that there's a 50-50 chance he's going to come out of this coma. And if he does come out of the coma, there's a high chance that he will have permanent brain damage. And so Isaiah heard this. He said, I'm praying for you. And, and anyway, 
he comes out of the coma. He's no brain damage. He's recovered. He's, he's had, uh, he had to have a heart surgery. He's made full recovery. And thank God. Thank God. Isn't that great? And, and so Isaiah saw the lady um, a few days after when she came back to work. And she said, you know what happened during that time? She said, for the first time, I prayed. She said, I, I was at my husband's bedside. And there was a Bible. And I picked up a Bible for the first time. And I asked God to intervene. Just because of a conversation Isaiah had. Now, she, she's on a journey, right? She's not there yet, but she's on a journey. But just pray, care, share. And then finally, our strategy. Our stra- let's, let's go back to the vision statement. To be a relevant and a significant church that sees the lost one and the one winning throughout Edinburgh, the Lothians, and beyond. We've got four locations in the city now. Next year, we're starting our fifth we will tell you about that in two Sundays' time. So don't miss it. And that's so exciting. I can't wait to tell you about that. We're also launching three awesome initiatives that are in line with our strategy. I'm very excited. This is, this is a, this a curveball that came on the back of a prophecy I got, and I believe God's called us to do three awesome initiatives and launch an amazing location. So two weeks' time. A little carrot in front of you there. It's like neighbors, isn't it? It leaves you in a cliffhanger. Not that I watch neighbors or have any interest in that at all. So we've got the strategy to plant churches and to multiply locations, but also plant in, in our history. We've seen six churches started in different parts of the world. That's great. We've sent, that's from Destiny Edinburgh. We've sent people out. We've trained them up as leaders to send them out to plant churches. Okay, that's a tiny drop in the ocean. We would love to plant hundreds of churches by the time we're done. Okay, that's, 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 we're going to talk a lot more about that in future months. But you need to know that we believe in launching locations. Why would we believe in launching locations? Because actually, we launch locations to see the lost one and the one winning. That's an effective strategy. Peter Wagner, who was the former professor for church growth at Fuller Theological Seminary, said this. Planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. We believe in planting locations and planting churches. And the stories we've had, if we hadn't launched locations, so many of you wouldn't have come to faith if we hadn't planted this location. So many of our people in all our locations came to faith. We haven't grown by nicking people from other churches. We've grown as people have come to faith and have come back to faith. That's, that's called church growth. We believe in that. Just a quick example. Um, a couple of days ago on the turning, I was so blessed to turn around and there was Kathy from the North location. Now, Kathy came to faith just in the last month and she just went through according to Bath and has become a member, okay? But here's Kathy's story. Pete Kitchen, who's one of our core team in the North location, he goes out every Tuesday and just shares the gospel with people around the streets of North. So he goes around knocking doors, telling people about Jesus, introducing the church to them, inviting them along. He's brilliant. He's a GP, and he, he works four days a week, and he figures he earns enough money from the four days a week, I'm going to give a day a week to the church. That's what he does. So he volunteers for a day a week, and he goes out door knocking in the north of Edinburgh. Let's hear it for Pete Kitchen. <laughs> Love that. And so he, he met this lady, Kathy, at the door, and she said, oh, I'm not interested. I'm an atheist, but you can come in and talk to me anyway. So Pete came in, and he had this conversation with Kathy and someone else in the house, and they had this conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he said, well, she said, well, I'm not a believer, I'm, I'm an atheist. And Pete said, well, you'd be very welcome to come to church anyway. And he gave her a church invitation. Anyway, two weeks later, Kathy comes along to our north location. This was last year. And she came every week. A very devout atheist, very devout. Every week in church. And every week she would bring people with her. Honestly, every, she is the most evangelistic atheist we have in any of our churches. Puts all you other evangelistic atheists to shame. All right? She is the most evangelistic atheist. But bring all these people to church. Incredible in the North location. And uh, she went through Alpha, still didn't become a Christian. And a few, about a month and a half, two months ago, I was preaching. And at the end of the message, as I will at the end of this message, I gave people the opportunity if they want to accept Jesus. And she put her hand up. She came to faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You can clap. That's, that's, that's a good point to clap. And there she was out in the turning this week. 
that, that, that thrills me almost as much as the, as the fact that she, so there she is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So our strategy is to launch locations. We would have never have met Kathy if you folks hadn't given away a pile of people to launch our north location and then again to launch our south location. People wouldn't be saved if you hadn't done that. You're giving to 2020 vision, our vision statement. You're giving to that is enabled people to come to Christ. Honestly, that's, that's, that just even participating in the church and being behind the vision, by doing that, you're just being evangelistic, even by doing that. Let me just tell you another quick story from our south location. Two weeks ago, a lady, in fact, four weeks ago, a lady came to faith in our south location. I think Graham was preaching at the time. Is that right? You don't know what I'm going to say, do you? Okay. <laughs> tell me after I've said it, you can say, oh, that was me. So um, it was a year ago when we launched our south location and we handed out leaflets inviting people along and she got a leaflet to come to our south location on that day and she just knew, I've got to go to that. But she, she, was, she had some background in faith, but she wasn't walking with God. She was going through all these challenges. She knew she needed to come, but she didn't come. Anyway, a year later, she came for the first time to church. When Graham was, was that when you were preaching? Oh, that's when you were there. Okay. Stop interrupting, man. I'm trying to, trying to preach here. So anyway, someone was preaching in our south location when she was there, and she came to faith in Jesus. She came, after a year of getting an invitation, she came to faith week one. Isn't that amazing? And then two weeks later, she brought her husband along, who was an atheist, and he came to faith. And now their teenage son is involved in the youth. So there's a whole family come to faith in Jesus in our south location because you folks planted the location. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> amazing. So that's what we're about. So that's why it influences our strategy. We believe in this. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. Paul had just moved into that city. It was a city full of pagans. And yet as far as God was concerned from his eternal perspective, just wait till you see the church that's going to be birthed here, Paul. See, God isn't limited in our time-space world. God knows exactly what's going to happen. I feel God saying in my heart about Edinburgh and the Lothians. I have many people in this region. Many people in this region. I, th- I, think there are, I think there are thousands, thousands of people in this region. We've, we've seen over 4,000 decisions since 2003 in our church. That's awesome. But I believe in the days ahead we're going to see tens of thousands come to Christ. And I believe that there are going to be thousands in our church and thousands in other churches in the city as the, as the region turns to God. I believe that. I have many people in this city. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you did 20 years ago. Jesus, you said, I will build my church, and you've done it. And God, at the very beginning, you gave us a clear vision, a clear vision, Lord God, to see the lost one and the one winning. And we have tried to stay close to that, God, and we, on our 20th anniversary, we reorientate ourselves afresh to that vision statement that you gave us at the very beginning. God, we exist because our generation needs God-glorifying, disciple-making local churches. And therefore, our vision is to be a relevant and a significant church. And we, we commit ourselves to being that God throughout, that sees the lost one and the one winning throughout Edinburgh, the Lothians, and beyond. God, God, enable that to happen in a bigger way than we've ever dreamt before. Thank you, God, you're with us. You say, do not be afraid, I'm with you. Thank you, say, do not hold back, keep speaking. God, I pray that we would be a bold church, Father. Not an arrogant church, not a cocky church, not an in-your-face church, but we'd be a bold church. We would be people who speak up. Even if we're nervous, we go out there and share. I pray, God, we would see. I pray, God, we would see. Thank you for the people who have come to faith. God, please, let thousands more come. We love our region, God. Would you bring them to God, we pray. In God's presence, take a moment to make a decision before God. Just each one of you. 
Make your own response to God just now. We've, we've shared some things. Make some decisions. Make a fresh commitment to what he's called us to be and do. But for you to play your part in it, make that commitment to God just now, church. If you've held back in telling anyone about Jesus, make a choice to be bolder than you've been. God will help you. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you don't yet know God, I'm so thrilled you're here. If you don't yet know God, I've got good news for you. God knows you. And today, he's calling you to himself. Now, by the way, this has nothing to do with becoming a member of this church. You'd be very welcome to become a member of this church. But actually, you could make this decision about God and go to another church, and that would be fine. I'm not trying to get you in my church. I'm trying to get you to God. If you're here today and you don't yet know God, I would love this moment to give you that opportunity just now. Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again. He's alive. He's here by his spirit. In fact, you can feel him. He's here. And today he's calling you to himself. And if you're saying, that's me, Peter. I want to know God today. Then very simply, pray this prayer with me under your breath. Repeat this after me. Quietly, under your breath. Just say, dear Lord God, Thank you so much for your love for me. Jesus, thank you. You were willing to die in my place on the cross. Thank you. You rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you. You're alive right now. Today, I make a choice. I put my faith in you, Jesus. Be my savior. And I choose to follow you, Jesus. Be my Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Keep your eyes closed. I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer today, just in this auditorium. If today that's the prayer you've prayed, just while everyone else's eyes are closed, can you simply let me know that you prayed that prayer so I can pray for you? by raising your hand. Anyone in this auditorium or in the cafe, just quickly raise your hand. Say, that's me today. That's the decision I made. Say, anyone like that? I'll wait for a moment or two. It is the greatest decision you could ever make. So just really quickly, if that's you today, just quickly say, that's me by raising your hand nice and high so I can see it. Then pop it down again. your hand okay I think I saw a hand go up there is there anyone else God I thank you so much for this decision for Jesus and I pray today this would be the beginning of a great journey with you Lord thank you for hearing his prayer thank you for accepting him today in Jesus name